You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Today we have April Blackburn, former CTO at the Florida Department of Transportation and Infrastructure Advisor and Technology Strategist at Rollins Infra Consulting. April, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Thank you, Joe. Happy to be here. I am very excited that we were able to make this happen. In particular, we have two listeners, that's right, two, who will love this podcast that we're going to have today. One is Cassie Jordan, and the other is our other friend in Florida, Chandra McLaughlin, who both recently came on the podcast with Mandy Crawford to talk about exploring the power of positivity through mentorship. It was a ton of fun. I really love the episode, love connecting with folks who are smarter than me which is every podcast episode for those of you listening in. And if you haven't caught that episode, shameless plug, head to techtables.com to check that out. And for Cassie and Chandra, I know you will love this. So for our audience today, April, you've got 32 years of experience and you're a second generation at FDOT alum. And you've got some work you've done both in Texas, kind of in Florida. Also, 32 April looks, if you ever meet her, she looks incredibly young because I am 34 years old. She mentioned offline, I could potentially be her son. Why don't you give us a little <laughs> bit of background? You've got a wealth of experience. And I know the audience would love to hear a little bit more context around your background and the story kind of around, I think it's like a sister or a cousin. Everyone's yeah. working at the Florida Department of Transportation. That's right. Yeah. So one of the things you should know about the Florida Department of Transportation in particular and all departments of transportation is when we say it's like a family, we mean it, like literally and figuratively. So I spent 32 years, so all my adult life until two years ago at the Florida Department of Transportation. I did join when I was a freshman in college and started in the legislative programs office. I am a second generation FDOT employee. My mother raised more secretaries of the Florida Department of Transportation than anybody I know. She was executive assistant and ran the executive suite with love and rules, just like at home. And so I uh, worked at DOT, I got my degree from Florida State University in Management Information Systems and moved to the IT section in the same year and worked my way through all the different parts of information technology from software to hardware to networking, local and wide area application development. And that all culminated in getting to be the chief information officer. And that was my career goal. I was like, whoo. 
made it. And then I was like, now what? So I had a very dear supervisor and manager said, yeah, that's easy. You just set a new goal. And so that took me on a, a path to do really cool things with state government and with the Department of Transportation. And that was completely reorganized the way we looked at technology in our agency. We went from being purely a service organization to a strategic partner within the Florida Department of Transportation. And I got to be the chief technology officer. And so that's that's what my title was at my retirement. I've been retired going on two years and that's retired with a little R because I did move to the private sector. And I joined a systems integrator that was based out of Texas, right? So the Florida to Texas and joined them to build their transportation business. I went from being a technology vertical in a transportation company to being the transportation vertical in a technology company. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot to learn. And then about a year ago, I had the opportunity to join Rollins. We're back to being the technology lead inside of a transportation organization, and I've been having a blast ever since. I love that. There's a couple of things I heard there. Number one, mom's got love and rules. That is a great one. I also, once upon a time, I worked for my mom. Now, my mom was a waitress, and I came in as a busboy. Fun fact, when I was 14, that was quite the experience. And my mom also had some love and some rules and some comments around my work ethic, which as a 14-year-old busboy typically had me eating the food at the restaurant instead of working. But we matured along the way and grew up. I love that. FSU, I don't have access on the... Folks are watching this on video on the podcast. I don't have within reach right now, but I did on our podcast intro call. Originally, I was going to throw my live event in Florida and Tallahassee. It is not going to happen due to the hurricane, but I'm currently sitting with about 20 plus Florida state shoes right now, which you're like, Joe, why do you got 20 pairs of those? Well, the day before the live pod or the day after the live podcast event was originally scheduled, Florida state was going to play Clemson. And so I just pinged everyone and said, Hey guys and gals, what's your shoe size and who are you going for Florida state or Clemson? Surprisingly, no one went for Clemson. And so at the time, I actually haven't even told the story to Jamie Grant yet, which is pretty <laughs> funny. I'll tell it to him when I see him in Orlando. But I said, I said, you know what? We'll swap shoes because we're the same shoe size. So I said, we'll do is I'll wear one Tallahassee and one Clemson shoe. And he'll wear the other pairs since we're both a size 10 and a half. Then the event got canceled due to the hurricane that rolled through. And so I was left with all these shoes. I was like, I'm going to wear the Clemson shoes. (laughs) No one's going to wear these. So I walked around with Clemson and Florida State shoes. And it's a really great, if you ever want a lot of people to ask you questions, just wear a bunch of college running shoes in California. And people are like, are you, did you go to Florida State? Are you a Clemson fan? On a weekly basis. So it brings me great joy. (laughs) Yeah. That's my funny story. Okay. And then the last thing that you said that I loved was you said set a new, someone told you set a new goal, honey, or sweetheart, which I think is so funny because that was when you said you became the CIO, but then you transferred over to be the CTO and then you left again. You had to set a new goal a couple of times. This is like a constant theme. Okay. It is a theme. It is a theme. And some of the discussions we'll have, we'll see that theme show up again right on I do setting goals and having a plan and having a strategy and understanding where I'm headed gets me in trouble sometimes because life doesn't always go to plan, but it still makes me feel good to have one. (laughs) 
you said you get in trouble sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes. I like that. I was talking to I was talking to a CIO in Texas. I'll not name them. And there's a lot of people in Texas I've interviewed, so it'll be impossible to guess. But this gal, I'll say gal, so that I'll eliminate. But I still interviewed a lot of gals. She said that Joe, I love breaking the status quo, and and I was like, oh. We're going to get along very well. Yes, I love breaking up the status quo. Shaking some trees in love, in love, shake the trees in love. But yes, I love breaking up the status quo. So let's, we'll jump in. So during your time at FDOT, you had a lot of really great stories. Like we were talking offline, you had a lot of really great stories. One in particular that you were really passionate about that I really liked was the story of you automating your office when I think you would just come back into session. Could you maybe talk about what you were trying to solve? Where did you see that pain in the business? And clearly there was a status quo that you were willing to shake some trees and love, but I'll let you tell that story. Sure. Yeah, this was in that legislative programs office where I talked about where I first started. And back then, and I'll try not to date myself too much in this story, but some of it you just can't help. At the end of session, when session was over, that's when all the analysts and everybody in the office took their vacations and things just really went from literally the phone ringing off the hook, people in and out of the office all the time, late hours and all that to silence. It just got quiet. And being the low man on the totem pole and, you know, the entry level person, it was, hey, you get to keep the office. So I had fun things to do, close out from you know, the session, move all the files and do all that kind of stuff. And that didn't take very long and I still needed to work. So I started reading every manual I could get a hold of. So I read the manual for my new computer. I read the manual for all the software we had. And we had just gotten the ability to attach a file to an email. It was a big deal. It was a really big deal because this was a very manual process. So as you can imagine during session, as I talk about all that going on, it was all manual. So when reviews of the bills were due, when we had a shuttle schedule just to run you from the building to the Capitol to make sure that you made your committee meetings and things like that, all manual. And my whole job was about running around that building to make sure people had stuff when they needed it, knew what they needed to do. And so with all my newfound knowledge of reading through those manuals, I started automating the processes we had. Did a shuttle schedule, attached it to an email, sent it out to everyone, changes. You could just email me if you needed a ride or call me or what have you. And um, and that really has been, it's that underlying theme, you know, of what is the problem or what are we trying to do and what are the tools at our fingertips to be able to do that? That's, if I look back over my career, that's what I've done all the way through, right? Is what problem are we trying to solve? Where are we trying to go? What do we want to do? Okay, cool. What do we have? We have technology, we have people, we have tools. Let's figure out how to use these to solve that. And that was that first taste of that, which I just thought, Hey, this is cool. We can use this. And it really revolutionized the way we ran that office. And, and that was, then I was bitten by the bug, right? Then everybody said, Ooh, thanks. This is cool. What else can we do? And there you go. Yeah. I love the story of you running around because it just, I know figuratively probably in like technology, you're like, no, we're running around. 
but real like back then you were really running around which i love that illustration when i was working on computers now folks in the audience no one laughed but when i was in sixth grade i was helping the teachers set up these new computers we got which is pretty funny because at the time it was like uh, not so much today but maybe a little bit with like software but folks were like too scared to touch it like almost like it would break and i was like oh we break it let's just break it <laughs> And so I was constantly setting up, trying to install packages and hook things right. up to the network. And I'm like in sixth grade. And, you know, I always laugh because I always, the teacher would be like, yeah, maybe one day you'll do something in IT or something with one of those, one of those computers. But those are past me. That, that At least that's the sixth grade version of me of how I remember my teacher. How you remembered it. Yeah. Hey, I, I got to read the memory writer typewriter for the secretary that I worked for and then load everything in and just tell her how to do it. She said, I don't have time to read this manual, figure it out. You figure it out. And then you show me what to do. Yes, ma'am. I did. So, <laughs> I get I love it. that. I learned to type on a typewriter. I know most people think, oh, you're so young. You just grew up with a computer. Nope. I originally had a typewriter and I remember the days before. AOL, dial-up. Those are real days. Yeah, no, I love that story. All kidding aside, there. Could you just maybe talk to the people aspect? Like, you're trying to move to automate this process. And I worked at a couple of tech companies before in different verticals from healthcare to property management software. And anytime I was working with end users to try and automate, there was always friction. I think there was just always friction to a new process. How did you get folks on board to move past that friction? I think a lot of the success that I've had through that is I truly was willing to be right there learning with them to help them overcome it. So it wasn't something that I did to them. It was something I did with them. And I think from having that support kind of background of, you know, working on a help desk, helping somebody with their software and the frustration of, look, I have this deadline. I am trying to get this done and this stupid computer won't work. And sitting down with them and going, okay, let's figure this out. We're going to make your deadline. Don't worry. If not, I'll get you, you know, I think that approach and how I was brought into IT and support and truly being there to help is what has helped in bringing that, what is now, you know, organizational change management. I think you and I, when we were talking beforehand, when I got into my senior level courses and got into those first weed out courses, there was one that introduced this term called the change agent. And I was so thrilled because I didn't know there was a name for the type of person I felt I was. And I just thought it was the coolest title and name because it was exciting, right? It was trying to figure something out. But I think the that friction, a lot of it in the old way of doing something, it may be terrible and it may take forever and it's so frustrating, but you know what to do. You know how to beat it. You know how to win. You know what success looks like. You know what to expect. And when you move to something new, as exciting as cool and cool as it's going to be, you don't know how to win. You don't know how to work it yet. And so it's intimidating and it's how am I going to get the things that I have to get done? And so I think a lot of it is that the attitude that you approach it with. Is this new and scary? Yes. 
Is it going to be better? Oh, very much. Yes. Are we going to have a transition period? Yes, we are. But I will be right here with you while we figure out how to learn what success is and do that. And I think that true, really desire to help and to make it better and to stay with them, even when it gets ugly and hard and unsure and it breaks when it wasn't supposed to, it means a lot, right? Because you're, you're in there with them to get that done. And I think you've got to have that true desire to help and to see it through. Because if you don't, you're going to feel that. And that's just going to take that natural friction with change and make it worse. Yeah, that what you were talking about right there is so great. You don't know how to win. Learning what success is. And I love this, like learning with them. I had a great podcast with this guy, Gary Brantley, who was CIO for the city of Atlanta. Now the CIO for the NFL. Talk about setting some new goals. And we talked a lot about, there's this huge ransomware attack on the city of Atlanta. And then he came in, Gary came in. And sometimes when you're working with the team and they don't know what it looks like to win, it's very hard for those folks in their current environment to broaden their horizon. And then when you come in, you can bring a different perspective. You can bring, and I do this with the basketball team all the time. We got a crosstown rival and a lot of kids have never experienced what winning is like against this particular crosstown rival that we have. And I think, and I played for this high school, so I've been around the block, but I was telling them you can win. It's like definitely possible. And we got to execute the game plan these ways. And in one of the years, yeah, we won. We blew them out big time. And and part of it is figuring out what does it take to win, getting the right people on the right bus or the right ship to move. But if you don't, if you haven't, it's, and I love sports. So, April, if you're not into sports, please forgive me because all my analogies. It's like the Cleveland Cavaliers. You don't have LeBron James. There's like a documentary on how many games they lost in the period. And LeBron just wills them to win. but. Before he came, he kind of left Cleveland, came back to Cleveland, and kind of, say, you know, same thing with the Golden State Warriors. You got to bring enough firepower together to kind of get over the hump, and then you realize this is what it takes to win. This is why I am a little bit of a fanboy of Mr. Jamie Grant, because he is an entrepreneur, and he know, and he's actually a former coach, too, so... He has an idea of, hey, this is what it takes to win in the private sector, and, and we're going to go shake some trees in the state of Florida. And, and I really like that because I think if you want to win, you got to break people out of their old mindsets and what they think is possible, which actually is sometimes can be can feel like that you're getting stretched, you're growing. Um, and then when you look back and you reflect, you're like, that was a really good season, even though it was hard. <laughs> I was really glad I made that jump. Going with your sports analogies, right? You got to have a game plan, right? That's I having that vision of what success looks like, right? So how do you know who won the baseball game? Who's on the dog pile on the pitcher's mound, right? That's the winning team, right? That one. Making sure we all have that picture and then, all right, now that we know where we're going, what's the plan to get us there? What do we need to do? How do we need to do it? Again, that's that goal setting stuff, right? It's the... Where are we headed and why? Okay, now let's go get all the great resources that we have together moving in that direction. I just, I agree. It's, it is, and same thing, you know, that visualization is something that has served me 
over my whole life, right? Of this is what I want to be when I grow up. This is what I want out of my life. That setting those goals and setting those paths. Now that same mama who has loves and rules says to me, on occasion, uh-oh, Cinderella, somebody moved your castle. What are you going to do now? And, you know, my first thing is usually I might, you know, have a moment and then I have to forge a new path to get to where the castle is now. But I really do believe a lot in setting that vision of success and then working towards it, you know, to your point, getting all the resources that you have at hand, technology being, you know, one that I love a lot, but it's also the people and the caring and what are we trying to accomplish and why? Because when you have that motivations, when it gets hard, you remind yourself, hey, there's a really good reason we're doing this and it is hard, but it's worth it. So let's keep going. Yeah. The, I love your mom and I'm, I don't know if she's around, but I think we get along really well. Okay. <laughs> we get along real well. So moved your cat. <laughs> First of all, your mom calling you Cinderella, and, you know, I'm almost picturing this, like, boo-hoo, your castle got moved. There's actually a book on this, which is, you know, who moved your cheese, right? Who moved my cheese? And But I like the castle analogy, and your mom calling you Cinderella a lot. The last topic on the visualization piece, yeah, I love, I don't know if you're familiar, there's a guy named Dave Ramsey. He's got something called desired future, and I love that concept of creating a desired future, and then, because you don't know. If you don't have any desired future, you're not going to know where to go. And then you can't break that down into any objectives or OKRs or anything like that. But it definitely starts with having that vision of where you want to go. And I can't get the Cinderella castle <laughs> out of my head. It's too funny. Moving on from the Cinderella castle, on our podcast intro call, you described that you like to push yourself, learn new stuff, look into new things. And it was just kind of this weird balance where you're like naturally risk averse, but willing to take risks. I still don't understand that, but you, <laughs> you'll let me know. But that made me think about a quote that says, everything you've ever wanted is sitting on the other side of fear. Two part question. Part one, what was the fear holding you back at F dot that you had to overcome? Yeah, I laughed even in, in preparation for that because... That is me, that not scared to kind of push the boundaries on a lot of things. But when it gets personal, I'm no different than anybody else on personal change. It's a little scary, right? For part one, for leaving, you know, going back into that goal setting, I have been the person that, you know, from my dual enrollment day in high school and college on, I'm going to be a business management major and this is what I need to do. And in Three years, I'll have this. In five years, I'll do this. In 10 years, it looks like this. And I mark them off. There's that path to the castle. On that path with that career goal was, and you're going to work somewhere besides the Florida Department of Transportation. You're going to push yourself out of the nest. You're going to go somewhere else and use your skills and learn something new and prove to yourself you can be successful somewhere else. And so part of that fear was it was time. I'd been there 32 years. On my list, I was supposed to be doing something. And as I was making the decision on whether or not I was going to take the position that was offered to me, 
was talking through it with my husband and he said, what are you doing, April? He said, are you trying to find the perfect time to leave? I said, yes. I said, this project's going on. I got this going on with this person. We just did this kind of thing. He said, hun, that's fear talking. There will never be a perfect time to leave. And I was like, ooh, I think you might be right. <laughs> I'm just scared. And, you know, sometimes you just got to do it scared. And so that's what I did. And when I let myself see myself making that decision, then it got a little bit easier to make that decision and follow through, right? Because I created the new path, set up the new castle. Okay, where are we headed? How are we going to get there? What does that look like? So that was part one. I had to get over that fear of the unknown and leaving home. You know, that thought was home for a long time. Yeah, the, uh, you kind of basically answered the two parts to the question right there, which is totally fine. No, I love that. FDOT was home and taking that leap, yeah. taking that leap out. And I love what you said about, it's such a great reminder around empathy, but about it being personal. Once it gets personal, then you're, then you're, you know, you can feel like, hey, like that personal change is scary. And there's not too many things that like, I think I get nervous about, like I'm, I like to think I'm like pretty, pretty calm, pretty cool cat. There've been a couple of times where I've been pretty nervous and I can specifically remember them. And it typically involves foreign countries. So like I've been to, I've just got dropped off. I was in Manila and I remember having to get into a taxi and I was terrified because I thought I was going to get taken. So I was trying to get to the hotel and Peru is another example. I once backpacked through France when I was younger, before I was married. And that was, that was a time, each of those times I was totally terrified because oftentimes I didn't speak the language or I spoke very little. And, but it was like, it was a real growing moment of this point. I landed in the country and I can't go back. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes you talk about things not going. I actually one time got stranded at the Moscow airport and they don't just let you leave. So uh, on my way to Charles de Gaulle. And so I had to camp out there for four days and it was, it was a nightmare, but it turns out, you know, you just learn stuff about yourself. You end up, you're like, wow, I survived. I made it. And then I, you know, you make it to France and you're like, yes, this is amazing. And then I was terrified again because I had to go find the hostel I was staying in. And then, so yeah, you for everyone, the personal change, different environments, like bring out that part that, um, that maybe like for some people, I got some friends who they're like, oh, I, I travel anywhere. I'm like, oh, I don't well, that makes me a little nervous, but yeah. And I got some friends where in certain States I was living in Chicago after college and I had some friends who never left Chicago. And I was like, what? Like, I just don't travel anywhere. They're like, tell me about California. I'm like, what? And then even now I've got friends who they don't really travel. And I'm like, I travel all the time. This is so weird, but I love what you said about the personal change when it's personal for you. That's, you know, and then I love that your husband kind of jumped in and I, I really hope you brought up the castle analogy because that's going to stick with me forever. <laughs> that's a great one. I can't wait to tell mom. She will be so thrilled. Uh, Literally. I, I, she will yeah. be thrilled. We got to send this podcast to mom. We got to okay. send this podcast to her. She's going to love it. Okay. So the art of the possible. I love this. I love this term, by the way. I think it's one of the most, you know, one of the most underrated leadership aspects seems to be 
the lack of focus on people and their culture. Broadly, not in every organization. There are a lot of great people out there, but I think sometimes we forget about the people and the culture. It's a little hard. It's a little bit harder to measure, I think, versus like your ticket requests or a call center activity. But there are people behind that. And I was kind of curious, why do you think IT leadership teams miss out on how important it is to invest in their team and people? You know, maybe talk about that human element in the people process and technology piece. The people are really what make things possible, what they believe is possible. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you around the human element and why you think maybe some teams miss that. Yeah, I have been known to say at the beginning of most every project that I'm in, you know, that the technology is always the easiest part of the whole project. It's where everybody wants to jump in first, right? Figure out how and the technology piece. And, and it's the easiest part and it's not always easy. It's those people and processes. That's the part where it really gets into some difficult stuff. To answer your question directly on, you know, my thoughts around why maybe IT leaders don't spend as much time in the people and culture or seem, you know, it's not their first priority. I think a couple of things, I think, you know, those of us drawn to technology, the technology is really cool and it's really interesting and fascinating and you have to pick it up. So it's one of those places where you can get lost in the technical aspects of what you're doing. And, you know, you can figure it out. It makes sense. It works. You can see it and you can do that. People, not always so much, right? They don't behave the way you expect them to behave. They don't all act the same way. They're not coming at things from the same way. And then you get them all together and want them all going in the same direction. Also, nobody's working the way you think it's going to work. And so I think sometimes the draw is not you know, from a desire not to address their people and the culture, but more you drop down to what you know and what you're comfortable and what you're good at. And it's easier in the technical world to get drawn into that. But speaking for personal experience, I think one of the things I have never been a very technical technician. I had a boss one time that, that told me, because I used to start things, I'm not technical, but, and then I, you know, he said, you're the most technical person in the room. Maybe it doesn't add up to your definition of what a technical person is. But I think that being willing to, to not delve all the way in has served me well because I could leave the technical parts to those who really understood and did that very well. And I could step back and look at the team what are we trying to accomplish? Who's feeling comfortable? Who's not? And really address it from that perspective. So really looking at the relationships that can they see where they're going? Are they feeling left behind? And really reading the room and the project to make sure the people were coming with the technology. Because, you know, as technologists, sometimes we can just keep on going because we see it. We're writing beautiful code. We're writing do, you know great things. This will be perfect. Just trust me. When you get there, you'll love it. Well, no, they won't. And so I'm pretty good. Quit leaving them behind. You got to bring them here. And they don't, I don't think they like that. But I think it's a, you know, I think it's just an easy trap because the technology is so cool and it behaves a lot more as expected than people do. 
I think that may be why some of us in technology struggle with that people side more so than uh, than others. And I think that's true, not just in, you know, information technology, but, you know, I am not an engineer, but I'm very compatible with them and have worked with engineers. My, same thing, right? That they have that, they're figuring out a problem. They're solving a problem. And, and sometimes the people get in the way of that. Yeah. You mentioned, and I teed this up or in basketball terms, this is almost like an alley-oop. I set this up. The reason I set this up is because it's not just the IT folks who actually struggle with this. I know it may sound like I was picking on the IT folks. I am not. It happens everywhere. And actually, I the, one of the biggest areas I see it is on the coaching with, with other coaches. They care more about X's and O's than they do about the dynamics of their team. And so I see it on a basketball court all the time. And oftentimes it's too many plays or it's, there, there's so many plays. And we know a lot of plays. We run a lot of plays, but I, there's a couple of college coaches, Coach K and a few others where they have talked about this, where the biggest mistake leaders make is that they actually focus too much on the X, they'll call X's and O's than on the players on their team. And, and it was just this thing I just started seeing when I was coaching of other coaches would focus so heavily and you could draw up plays, but if you don't have the right dynamic in, in, in high school sports, you've got kids sometimes they want to punch each other. They shove each other. Things get a little heated. I know the audience has never, have never seen high school kids get crazy before, but yeah, it's a real reality and no, no different with leaders, but I love what you said about the tech kind of being really cool. It's kind of what we're comfortable with. I think you nailed it right there. Kind of a little bit of that shiny object of, I like this over here, but also I'm really comfortable with this over here. Um, and having those hard conversations is actually uncomfortable, right? <laughs> so to try and get your team, I'm actually not, I'm pretty comfortable with like other adults, even just adults I just meet. And sometimes they'll be like, Joe, how are you so comfortable? And I'll be like, when you have a bunch of, 15 and 16 year old high school boys stare at you every season, you got to just get used to it of like, all right, we can all be really awkward or we can develop some chemistry and we can kind of come together, which always cracks me up. But yeah, I love what you said. I think you totally nailed it. And I think that's exactly right. The, you know, the tech being the absolute easiest and, and being able to, you know, move past the shiny object, move past the tech piece. And I think having those conversations with those folks, the human element, that's really going to drive that. So behind closed doors, and my newsletter is called Behind the Mic, but behind, <laughs> that was a short plug. Some CIOs and leaders have mentioned to me that their culture is either broken or not where it needs to be. Which, by the way, that word culture is a big word, which is always a really great cue to ask clarifying questions around what that means. And one of the things for me I'll ask is like, what does that mean? I've had some speaking engagements. I've done some podcasts. I've met with some teams. And, and they'll tell me in kind of very broad terms. And usually when I boil it down, it has maybe it's like a subset of the culture, but really it has to do with communication yeah. at the end of the day. And so... I was kind of curious as we round out our podcast, you have a lot of great leadership experience. Again, I could base, I'm probably the same age as your son. So you've got phenomenal parenting, 32 years at FDOT, <laughs> private sector now. Audience would love to know, Would seriously, would really love to know what lessons and insights 
would you give to leaders today from your experience for those who are struggling or would love to improve their team communication? Yeah, no pressure though, right? Just, you know, with that set up on, on this question. In thinking about this a lot, I think it really boils down to a very simple formula that is very hard to do, right? It's just like saying, well, just talk to them. That sounds really easy, but you know, some people and some conversations aren't that easy to have. But I think it really is about first and foremost, know where you're headed and what you want to where you want to go, right? So when you talk about culture, when you talk about team, when you talk, as a leader, what does that look like? What is it that you have as that goal for your team and what you want it to? You need to understand that. So you can make decisions to help you get there. Otherwise, you're just running around. We'll pull that one back from this, right? You're just running around doing stuff. But I think it really boils down to when you have that, ask questions. And then this next part's for me. Then shut up and listen. Because someone who really likes to talk, I have to remember, <laughs> ask and then be quiet and listen. And then when they tell you the information, when they answer those questions you've asked and ask the hard questions. Then you've got to act with the information that they gave you. For me, some of that was really difficult when I got to a level in leadership where I was asking and the decisions I was going to make based on that input, I knew there were people on my team that were going to disagree with it and think it was the wrong thing. But I had done the homework of where do I want to take this team? What do we need to accomplish? And then what am I going to do? And I had to be okay that not everybody was going to be happy with that decision. But I really think it boils down to asking the questions, listening to the input and the responses, and then acting on it. I have a big pet peeve about people asking me for my opinion and then not doing anything with it or not telling me what they did with it. And so that's one of the things throughout my leadership. If I ask you, I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to tell you what I did, even if it was, I heard you and I appreciate the input and that's all I got for you. You know, I didn't, it didn't change where I was headed, but I heard what you said and I considered it. So I think that is to me really what it boils down to. Right. And it's, listening with that authenticity, right? I really want to know your answer. Doesn't mean I agree. Doesn't mean I agree with your answer, but I am interested in what you think and why, because I want to use that to inform the decisions I'm going to make. And it also helps me understand challenges I'm going to run into and things that we need to do as a team and address. Because if you've got that thought, so does somebody else. And I need to think about what is it, what are we going to do? Is it really something that's going to derail this or not and go forward? So I think it, it really boils down to that, you know, is listening to the answers to those questions and then taking that action. Okay. So love the formula. I think you nailed it. Yes. I know there were high expectations, but Hey, you're a mom. <laughs> Your mom sounded amazing. Took a little risk there, but I love what you said about not, everyone being okay with the decision. Something I found with leaders and sometimes with parents are like, wait, what is that? You try to, you 
sometimes it's sometimes just well intentioned, but you wait to try and get everyone to agree. And sometimes the reality is that you will never get everyone to agree. If anyone has been married, <laughs> you will never agree on anything, on 100% of everything. Now, I would say my wife and I, we'll probably go like 95%. We're like 90 and that 99, 90, 95% will agree, but there's some stuff. And sometimes it's like as simple as you can't agree on dinner to the like vacation spot or, you know, you X, Y, Z. But especially when you get the team dynamic, Sometimes you won't be able to agree and you still have to make a call. We just played our last game of the season a few nights ago and the game went to overtime and right before overtime, we had the ball with 1.2 seconds left with a chance to win. And we drew up a play that wasn't right. We scratched it, drew up another play. We were trying. There wasn't kind of the right play. We had to make a call. Not everyone agreed who should make the shot, who should take the shot. And, and thankfully, we, we won in overtime. But for that particular play, it was kind of a, just a great little microcosm of yeah. we, when you've got five players on the court and the coaching staff and not everyone can agree, you know, what the right play is, but you still have to make a call is the thing. That's your job. You're the leader, right? And, You're the leader. That's. That is, and I think, too, you're hitting on a point here that you care about the people and the outcome, right? But you care about the people more. And so I think when you share that information of, you know, I asked you a question and I made this decision, I know you're not, you weren't on board with it. I appreciate you getting on board with it, right, from this. When it comes from that true place of caring, I think they may not agree with you, but you can work on that respect factor, right? They respect that you have to make that decision and carry it forward and do the best. And I think, you know, we are talking about in all the discussion today, you know, the people behind everything, you know, that part's important. What's driving you and what's important can be felt and as long, you know, doesn't mean you don't mess up and you don't go, hey, wrong play. Sorry. <laughs> I did the best I could with what I had and I had to make a decision. I made it and it wasn't the right one. So we're going to fix it and move forward. You know, I know I personally, I can get behind that all day long besides someone who doesn't acknowledge the fact that maybe they made a mistake or it wasn't the best decision and move forward. You know, it matters. Yeah, it's always funny as a coach. It didn't, I don't think necessarily always the kids kind of see it, but there's definitely been some funny times where I'm like, oh, that was the wrong call. Whoops. Yeah, it happens. And it's going to happen to everyone because you're human. Okay. Last part I loved. This is the big difference. I think this is the one of the biggest things is can you execute? I love this. And I love what you said about your kind of your pet peeves. Hey, if you ask me for advice, but you don't actually execute, you know, like, that's kind of the end of the day of can you get it done, which I think kind of goes back to trust. Does, does your team will buy into you even more. But I love that. I love that concept. And executing doesn't always necessarily mean winning. It just right. means like, hey, my, you committed to doing this and you showed up, which is goes a big way. I really like that. And I think if there was the if leaders are listening to this podcast, the two things are. The formula, April's castle formula to success. 
you're not going to get everyone on your team to buy in. You still got to make a call. And I love what you said. I picked this up for my wife too. Kind of like the, hey, I noticed you said this. I heard you say this. I genuinely care for your feedback. X, Y, Z, this is the call that we're making. And sometimes you've got people on your team who are like little fiery. And I kind of love that personally because I'm a coach. Like I play sports, like I'm into that. And so sometimes it can be a little fiery dynamic, but you want those people to like tell you how they really feel. I love that. I'm like, tell us how you really feel. And sometimes you're like, that's a great call. And sometimes you're like, that's a learning lesson. Well, uh, let me just kind of guide you through this area. And then obviously you got to execute. I love that. I know we're out of time. April, there's so many other questions I'd love to ask you. This is a ton of fun. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? Is it like LinkedIn, Twitter? Is it the sure. yep. I'm on LinkedIn. website? Yep. You, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on the RollinsIC.com website. Awesome. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And I cannot wait to tell my mama about her a comment that she said to me in exasperation. <laughs> will be, she's famous now. Yeah, she's famous. <laughs> Yeah, she is famous. Thank you for coming on the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. And yeah, I've had a lot of fun today. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the higher ed show. And bonus number three, access to the digital show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.